Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Well, this is this is a fascinating field. And let's talk about the word influence. What does that mean to you, John? Uh, so it means the ability to have an impact on a person or an outcome. It's pretty simple. It, what it doesn't mean to me is taking photos of avocado toast in bikinis on Instagram. Uh, that's a really impressive skill set to be able to create content for a lot of people. But most of the things that we care about when it comes to influence is more like getting my boss to see that my ideas are good or helping our, my child get into the school they want to go to. And it's much more subtle. Or convince somebody to do something that they're opposed to doing? Uh, possibly. Helping them see that the opportunity or something like that. What it isn't is also power, right? It's not forcing somebody to do something. But hopefully getting them to see the opportunity or having them trust you enough that they'll see the potential of something. Oh, there's some people, John, who are just experts at influencing other people. Um, there's a, there's a whole lot, a lot of content writers. I mean, there's certain things on the internet that when you read it, you're like, oh, I need to buy this product right away. Um, and I think that influence really comes down to a handful of factors, like who we're connected to and how much they trust us. And then there's all these kind of odd behavioral cues, like uh, things called the halo effect uh, or the mere exposure effect that really cause us to trust or be willing to do something more. Does a child pick up on these techniques? Uh, that's an interesting question. My area of research isn't around children, uh, but I would figure so because if you look at these, uh, I guess a simple example would be uh, if a kid hears about a toy from a friend, mm -hmm. then they want that toy. That's right. So we all have a level of influence regardless of age. These abilities to influence, are we born with these traits or do they develop later on in life? Uh, so I would say that it's at the core of what it is to be human. Uh, and the reason is that uh, most of the time we're not really thinking all the way through an idea. As, George, you've, you have an expertise and uh, if you say, John, oh, if you want to be popular and have a radio show, here's my advice. I would trust you because you, you're clearly very competent. I've been there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's uh, for human beings, it's just a great shortcut that we end up selecting people that we trust and then being guided by them. That could be your best friend. It could be your parent, or it could be some personality you know from television. Can, can influencing backfire? And by that I mean can the wrong people have that ability and they use it for certain gains? Oh, well, absolutely. Let's look at people who are... Like Hitler. Hitler was one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so he understood a lot of critical cues of giving people a sense of belonging. And for human beings, there's almost nothing more important, right? So if you think about the way we punish people, we either exile them or we put them in solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. And, and so Hitler was able to give people the sense of belonging and some image or idea. And that experience was so special to them that they would do just about anything he said, even if it was against their best interest. Exactly. But how did he develop his trait? That's an, 
an interesting question. Uh, I think it was probably honed over the course of a career. You know, in, in the early descriptions of him, I don't think people specifically said he was particularly charismatic. Right, and um, had a lousy childhood, too, I think. Uh, yeah, and so I think that these are things, that, much like muscles, that we can develop and strengthen. And uh, I think that he really dedicated himself and probably found a, 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 a feedback loop that was really effective for him. Well, with John Levy, his latest book is called You're Invited, The Art and Science of Cultivating Influence. Tell us uh, about that title. It just came out too, didn't it? Yeah, it came out on Tuesday. It's been absolutely wild. Uh, so it, the general argument is that uh, what we really want is to be influential, to have an impact on our life. And that is a byproduct of who we're connected to, how much they trust us, and the sense of community or belonging that we share. So if we can figure out how to be masterful at all those things, then we can have an incredible level of influence on the things that matter to us. I live in St. Louis, uh, and I know the uh, Bush family that uh, basically ended up selling Anheuser-Busch to InBev, uh, but they were geniuses at marketing, geniuses influencing people to buy their beer products. Mm-hmm. And were those some of the things you would get involved with? Uh, I'm more on the, like, when human relationships really matter. Ah, uh-huh. so, okay. Uh, for example, if you are a large company uh, like SAP, right, big software company, and you want to connect with CEOs of the major corporations, how do you actually access somebody like that to become a client? Because they're being bombarded with requests. How do you actually develop a meaningful relationship with them if you only have a few minutes? And so I'm the person who large companies look at and say, okay, we want to either connect with our employees, top customers, and develop those relationships so that when the time comes for them to spend you know, $20 million on software, uh, we're the top choice. Analyze this story for me, John. There was a uh, guy who was a salesman, and he was pretty successful, except he could not sell to this one guy at a company. He tried, and he tried, and he tried. And let me set the stage for you. The guy who was the buyer of the products for this company was about five foot four, small guy in stature, the sales guy who'd been trying to sell to this guy was about six foot seven. And he, he did everything he could to get this guy to buy his products from him. And the guy just wouldn't let him, wouldn't buy from him, didn't like him. One day he's talking to a friend of his, somebody like you. And uh, the guy said, you need to put him above you because he's intimidated by you. He's, you know, he's five foot four. You walk in, you're six foot seven. He don't want anything to do with you. You, you've, you've got to flip that. So he said, what, what can I do? And the guy told him what to do. And this is what the guy does. He goes into the guy's office, appointment number 20, expecting of course, to get rejected again. As he walks in, he's holding his briefcase, which is unlatched, but he's holding it together. Like it looks like it's latched 
and he trips on purpose and falls. He goes splat on the floor, opens the briefcase, papers go flying. The little guy gets out from his desk and picks up the six foot seven guy and helps him up on his feet. The guy sits down and he thanks him for that. But at, but he made the position with the guy. He made the guy feel a little more important than the guy who fell. He felt comfortable. He got the sale that day. What I did he what did he do right? So human beings have this weird characteristic called the Pratt Fall effect. And if you've ever watched, let's say, a romantic comedy, you'll notice that the lead characters falling all over themselves. And oddly, we like them more for it. And so researchers did an experiment almost identical to your story. They had people go in for job interviews. And group one just went in and did the interview. Group two went in and either spilled a bit of coffee on themselves by accident or made it look like an accident, or they dropped a pile of papers. And here's what's really interesting. We rated those people as more likable and higher for the interview. And that's because when we show a bit of vulnerability, people actually like us more. Yeah. That six foot seven guy probably exemplified everything that was intimidating and quote unquote the perfect model of what it mm-hmm. would be. Probably everything negative that happened to this other guy when he was in school and everything else, Mm -hmm. just magnified it every time he saw this guy. And so there's this interesting thing about how trust actually exists or is built, and it's called a vulnerability loop. And so we think that trust precedes vulnerability, but it doesn't. The way it works is, let's say, George, the two of us were walking down the street, and I said, it's been a really tough week. I'm really overwhelmed. I've just signaled vulnerability. Right. Now, if you make fun of me or ignore me, then trust will be reduced. But if you say, John, it's been a really stressful week for me too, what's going on with you? Then you've signaled vulnerability and we've completed the loop demonstrating that we're safe with each other and trust is increased. When the man fell, the salesman fell and dropped his papers, he demonstrated vulnerability. When the customer stood up and supported him, they completed the loop and trust was increased. The guy who told him what to do was brilliant. Oh, it, this is such a great strategy. And it, and, it, and it worked, and I guess the guy stayed friends with the other guy, and he kept his sales, and mm-hmm. everything worked like that. So it's similar to the, the famous example for Benjamin Franklin. Uh, it's called the Ben Franklin effect, which is that Franklin had a, um, a political rival uh, who was risking Franklin's position. And instead of being nice to the guy uh, to try to win him over, he asked to re- borrow a rare book from the man's book collection, which required him to go far out of his way to bring it to Franklin. And from that point on, they ended up uh, being friends until their passing. And that's what's kind of interesting is that we expect that if I do nice things for you, you'll like me more. But if I actually want you to like me, I should ask for favors and find ways for you to invest effort into our relationship. 
John Levy with us, his book, You're Invited. John, tell us about these dinners that you put together and the concept behind it. So I started off by inviting 12 strangers to come to my home, but there's a twist. They're not allowed to talk about what they do or even give their last name. How'd you even get them to the house? Uh, So the first ones I, I invited were just people I kind of knew. They weren't as impressive as they were later on. Okay. Uh, and so uh, they'd come over, we'd cook dinner together. And then when we sit down to eat, everybody gets to guess what everybody else does. That's part of the, that's part of the routine. Yeah. It's like a fun game It's okay. uh, to turn it into something playful and see how good you are at figuring other people out. And the truth is we're just terrible. At and it. other like, than you, nobody knew who everybody was. And nowadays I don't even know. Okay. I, All right. Uh, because I like the game as well. I like having fun with it. And, um, and then there's this big reveal. One by one, we end up finding out that it's, you know, Nobel laureate Dan Kahneman and an eight-time Olympic medalist. And It's like a takeoff of the TV show, What's My Line? Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. And so uh, by the end, you find out that you're with Grammy winners, Olympians, huh. astrophysicists, uh, anything and everything you could imagine. Uh, in fact, several of your former guests, uh, Seth Shoddick. Oh, yeah. Uh, Seti. Yeah. I mean, just, it's such a brilliant guy. What a super guy he is, isn't he? Oh, and like charming and fun. And uh, and I think he was on the dating game five times. And like, just, <laughs> just like a, a fun person, right? Um, and so uh, we end up uh, then just get, like hanging out and uh, getting to know each other. But what's interesting to me about it is that everybody thinks it's the dinner that makes it special. It's actually the dinner's terrible food. We had a famous journalist come and she said, I was expecting phenomenal food and decent company. I got the exact opposite. Huh. Um, so it's just like, it's terrible. You could go to like Chipotle or, you know, some fast casual restaurant and get better food. But because we cooked together, because we had those vulnerability loops, happen while we were cooking, uh, then it bonds people in a much deeper way, and they end up becoming friends in the process. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.